The Waddle and Sylvie podcast is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up using promo code WMVP at sportsbook.draftkings.com. From the old National Bank State Street studio, you're listening to Waddle and Sylvie on the new home of the Chicago Bears. ESPN Chicago. WMVP. WSHE. HD2 Chicago. A good karma brand's radio station. We were pretty spent. A lot. We spent a lot of money. People talk about, why well, won't the White Sox spend? I think we had a payroll of 185 million dollars. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we will we'll do what Chris thinks that we ought to do that, that will make us better. I mean, look, we're not going to be in the Otani race. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you that. But uh, and, and we're not going. You know, and, and we're not going to sign pitchers to 10-year deals. But we're going to try to get better, and that means. Trades, I mean, it potentially means free agents. It, it means playing, you know, smarter baseball. It means a lot of things. So we're going, you know, I don't have a lot of time left. I, I don't want, I don't want to go through a long rebuild. Jerry Reinsdorf, yesterday, the chairman of the board for the White Sox, articulating some of the White Sox fans' worst fears out there. They will not be players in Shohei Otani. I think something most Sox fans did not believe was ever going to be in the cards but also talking about how they're not going to be breaking the bank and spending, um, signing pitchers to, uh, he said, 10-year deals. I don't know what the appetite is for anything more than a four-year deal or a pitcher, to be quite honest with you, Tyler. But uh, that's something we can ask Jesse Rogers about here in a moment. Um, the entire introductory press conference yesterday of Chris Getz, I don't think went over as well as the White Sox would, or at least White Sox observers would have uh, hoped for, right? Like, this is something that did not really make you feel great about the direction of the organization if you support them. And certainly um, Chris Getz didn't, I don't think, do anything to alleviate concerns about him being promoted to the position that he has been. Not one bit because uh, I think he deep down knows that this may be a little over his head. And it's not that he can't be a competent GM, but it's just the building process that you may have moving forward. Jeff Meller, Tyler Rocky, in for Waddle and Sylvie today. We head on out to, well, we'll find out where he's at here in a moment. Jesse Rogers is brought to you by your Chicago Toyota Association, Toyota dealers. Let's go places. Jess, where are you at this weekend? Remind us. Yeah, I'm headed, I'm, I'm, uh, headed east. I'm going to be in Bristol this weekend with a pit stop at BC, Tommy Ooh. Waddle's world. All right. Um, for a little Northern Illinois, my alma mater against his. I'm going to watch that with my son Saturday, tomorrow, and then head to Bristol for baseball tonight on Sunday. So I will not be at a ballpark this weekend. We're all in Waddle's world. We're just, you know, it's his world. We're just living in it. You got to go find the, uh, right. I think there's a pillar inside the BC stadium. I know in the yes, basketball stadium there there's a there plaque yeah. for him. Mm-hmm. I saw yeah. it there. No, there's once a pillar. Upon a there's time. a pillar with his with his face on. I'm definitely taking a picture there. And awesome. I think I, giving him the bird, of course. I don't know if they've actually put it up, but there's obviously been talk about a Waddle statue. So I think that's still in the works. Eventually, one day, there's no doubt that will be up somewhere near the football field. It's just a matter of time. It'll be up and then vandalized for sure. No, no. doubt about it. <laughs> just uh, draw. It. <laughs> You know, <laughs> giant penis on the Waddle statue. TP the statue. Um, all right, so just no uh, your thoughts, reaction initially to the unveiling of Chris Getz yesterday. Jerry Reinsdorf finally spoke, which is something that wasn't, you know, we weren't quite sure was going to happen. 
And then mm-hmm. when he did, I don't think he did a whole lot to alleviate the fears of Sox fans. No, I don't think he did. I don't think they won the day or anything like that. It, Getz was, was green. There's no doubt about it. It's more important what he does than what he says, certainly. But I don't think they won the press conference by any means. First of all, opening up with the contradiction mm. of the, just the police department and the and what they've said publicly about the shooting. Um, the superintendent earlier in the week said he's almost sure it came from inside the park. And then Jerry mm-hmm. says that same person has authorized him to say that, no, maybe it did come from outside the park. So that whole storyline is such a cover-up on top of a cover-up. The White Sox don't want anyone to think it came from inside. They're praying, hoping it came from outside, but they don't know. They don't know. If they knew, they'd be releasing the information. So it started with that, and then we, we get to baseball. And it's just, yeah, there's it's just the same old stuff, guys. They yep. just put someone else in charge. Now, maybe, maybe two things can happen here. The whole one decision maker thing. Like that became sort of a catchphrase from the press release to yesterday. It was mentioned at least once or twice. So maybe that idea of streamlining things to one decision maker will help because we know there was some dysfunction between Rick and Kenny. All right, that's one. And two, there's some sort of a promise to hire from outside the organization. I'd like to know who that is before I pass judgment, but. Maybe it is from a forward-thinking place like, uh, uh, not Kansas City, sorry, like Tampa Bay or Cleveland or one of these smaller markets that is so good around the margins because that's what the Sox are acting like, a small market. Mm -hmm. When uh, the owner comes out and says he's not going to go after the best player in the history of the sport, obviously without the pitching right now, you know, that, that, that's, that reeks of small market. You know, he's not saying this in late December after they missed on him. He's saying this now. Their payroll was exactly 15th in baseball, so take what you will out of that. But So, so my point is, you know, if you're not going to spend, you better be great in all these other areas, and they haven't been. Um, but I'll remain a little bit hopeful that Chris Getz goes out and hires some forward-thinking people from winning organizations. Just what are people from outside the White Sox but in other front offices saying about this hire? They don't know much in terms of what Chris Getz is all about. That, that, that's it. There's an unknown factor there in terms of him as an executive, right? This is his first time on that center stage. He was down the ladder a little bit. Um, you know, GMs were calling Rick Hahn, um, and occasionally, I guess, Kenny Williams. Not, not ever Chris Getz. So I guess that's the answer. It's an unknown, he's an unknown commodity right now as, as an executive. At least, I, obviously, I didn't talk to everybody in the league, at least to the people I've talked to. Jesse Rogers joining us here on Waddle and Sylvie Meller and Aki in for the guys. I, you know, you, we're talking about, you know, Chris Getz being one decision maker and maybe that can be the reason why things can change. But when you hear Jerry Reinsdorf speak publicly about his ball club, you know, in a long format for the first time, I, it just, like you said, Jesse, kind of reiterates how little things have actually changed. You know, he hits on how they're not going to be, you know, in the Otani sweepstakes. They're not going to be signing pitchers to 10-year deals. And, you know, it immediately, in me, you know, makes me think about, okay, they're trying to give themselves pats on the back when they sign Andrew Benintendi for $75 million this offseason. And it just reiterates how far a gap there is in what they're operating, right? They, they can't – Andrew Benintendi for $75 million is just the going rate 
for a player yeah, right. who's entering free agency. He shouldn't be somebody that you should be, you know, asking for plaudits about because again, he's fine, but he's nothing more than that. And the fact that in some ways he's your highest uh, contract in the franchise history, that in itself is somewhat of an indictment. Yeah, it just feels like as I've said before, Jerry is only a team from 2003 or 1995 or something like that. Um, you know, he probably had to be pushed to spend on Grandel and pushed to spend on Bettany like that. They're not even very good players. Exactly. Um, he goes kicking and screaming to spending. Look, it, it, I, he said it in the at the symposium out, out west earlier. Just because uh, someone else spends on a second baseman, I have to spend on a second baseman. Yeah, that's called the market. That's just how it works. If you don't like owning the team in this system, then go somewhere else. Um, for every bad contract, there's a good one. You don't think people would love to have Bryce Harper, even at $300 million, the way he's leading the Philadelphia Phillies? So uh, it's part of the game that you, that you spend money, you overspend money. But it's also part of the game that you spend money on great, talented players. And he doesn't do that. He just doesn't do that. So, again, stuck sort of in the past, stuck in between payroll, stuck at uh, less than – Optimi- uh, sort of maximizing the, the the margins, meaning player development, acquisition, analytics. They're not they're not forward thinking in all those areas. And by promoting gets and just kind of saying, "Well, we want to play better fundamentally." Big deal. That means nothing. You've got to. The, the irony of this thing is he needs to take that year to overhaul his his um, organization. The year that he doesn't want because he wants to win quickly. It's not going to be a, fi- a a quick fix. Jesse, I know there's only three or 30 GM jobs in baseball, but let's say there were three or four that were to come open this offseason. How, where is like, is this a desirable job if there was an actual interview process and there were outside candidates? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question because most of the time, any one of those 30 jobs is desirable. I guess you, it just depends on the desperation of the candidate. Because there are certainly people that are on a fast track to be an executive that probably would not take this job because of some of the limitations and some of the dysfunction. Um, maybe others would, would be encouraged because he's decided to go with one decision maker. Um, and it's not like other small markets can't succeed. You just have to be allowed to, to really beef up those, those, those edges, um, those margins, those things you can do around the payroll to, to beef up your team. And, and it's just unknown if he'll do that. So it, it's desirable because it's one of 30, but it, it's not certainly the most desirable. And it just depends on the desperation of a candidate. Jesse, I, I already told Tyler this, but I do think, you know, Chris Getz has been put in, oh, man, like an unbelievably unenviable position because not only do we know that he's probably not going to be given, you know, enough money to really make a difference, but also Jerry's talking about how they've got a core in place that he thinks can be successful, but also that part of the reason Getz is getting the gig is because he thinks he can expedite it. So it's all these layers on top of each other, which I don't necessarily agree with. I don't think the core is necessarily good enough to be competitive. I don't think that the solution is to try and do it in an expedited fashion if you actually want to do it correctly. And then if you are going to do it that way, you need the money to try and make it work, and that's not going to be there or available available to him, at least the way Jerry Reinsdorf has laid it out for us. So unless he goes back on what he laid out there, it's almost unwinnable. Yeah, I would say that I don't want to use the word delusional. It's too harsh of a word, but mm-hmm. I think you guys would agree Jerry's fooling himself. 
he's fooling himself if he thinks just promoting from within and kind of playing better fundamentals. I mean, I couldn't believe how oh, much you went on about right. Chris Getz as a farm director. I, mean, I know. What? what? What did he teach, really? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he was bad or good, but every farm director, every team is teaching, you know, yeah. throw the ball to the right base and things like that. I, that's what impressed him, not some analytical mind and mm. amazing connections around the league and the ability to, to squeeze the most talent out of, out of players that he's acquired. Like, there's... There should be some special qualities, not that it's a farm director you've always dreamed of. So it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Now, I said earlier today on the air, maybe they could catch lightning in a bottle. Anything can happen. It's baseball. But you see what this thing was. It was built on a house of cards. And, yeah, there was a moment in time where the talent came together in 21. But that's after ripping apart your team, rebuilding, losing for years. You get that moment. It really is built on that house of cards, and it falls apart. Not that any of us necessarily predicted it. You know, we don't know the, the, how it was going to turn out, what giving money to Yohan Mankata and these guys at such an early age would do. But it's clear there are major holes in this organization and how they, how they go about their business. Jesse, whenever you host on this station and I'm producing for you, you always come waltzing in and say, I got a hot take on this, hot take on that, buddy. I want you to put your hot take hat on here right now. Mm-hmm. What will be the first big move that Chris Getz makes? First significant, like, little bomb. Yeah. Um, is, is, it, is it going to be trading away someone off of this current roster? Like, that seems to me to be the avenue. Like a Dylan where, Cease. Whether it's yeah, Cease so, or, like, Aloy Jimenez. Yeah. Like, one of those two players seems like they could be. Something, okay, I give you, yeah, some, a smorgasbord. It, it's something like that or turning down Tim Anderson's op- contract option. What I'm getting at is. This is not Rick Khan tied to the moves he made, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't, um, oh, I got to justify my trade, justify the free agent signing. This is a guy that had nothing to do with that. Let's at least say that. Even yep. though he was in an organization, he certainly didn't build this team. So there is no, I think, to, ch- to change up that culture, to establish himself, it is something that you're talking about. C certainly could be that guy, though even though I think the rumors were kind of true in July, now that Han's gone, might be different. But something along those lines, some major shakeup where he is not tied to the past, I think is coming. It could be turning, out, turning down Tim Anderson's contract and sort of turning over the team to a new shortstop. Or, like you said, trading Aloy, trading Cease, probably not Robert. But, yeah, I would choose one of those sort of things because I don't think he's tied to the past well, yeah, like I the mean, other guys were. Robert would definitely be a game changer because, obviously, he's had a prolific season. But that's a year. rebuild. That's yeah. a rebuild. No, no, I agree. You know? So, Eloy, though, you could you could wrap your mind around why you would, if you could get something of value for sure. him, he would be the guy. Or, yeah, as you said, Dylan Cease would be highly sought after across baseball. So I could see why you might move him as well. But, boy, Robert would be... <laughs> two steps backwards, and certainly I, I can't imagine that living up to the timeline that Jerry Reinsdorf is hoping for. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Jerry doesn't know what the uh, timeline is. He just doesn't. He doesn't understand how this how this thing works. You can't just snap your fingers. Um, Chris Getz is going to need time. So what if he knows uh, people within the organization? It's it just it's it's uh, it's yeah. just being you know what it's being built up a little bit again like a house of cards. Yep, and it's probably going to come back down next uh, next season unless they do catch lightning in a bottle or Chris Getz turns out to be the best executive we've ever heard of in his first year as, as, on the job. Um, on the periphery of the White Sox, how about 
the Guardians claiming some of the Angels' cast-offs on waivers. The waivers of uh, the Angels, of course, released or put on waivers. Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, and Matt Moore, who are all claimed by the Guardians. Um, what has been some of the discussion around baseball that the Guardians were the team that were the first to make the claims in these, you know, even though they're yeah. somewhat on the outside looking in here? Oh, everybody was surprised. Everybody was surprised. Now, I don't know this for sure, but they are they are penny counters over there. I mean, and I say that not in a disrespectful way. It's just how it's Cleveland. It, that's how they operate. So my guess is I'm just I don't know this for sure. Maybe their attendance increased and they found some more money mm-hmm. to spend because it just didn't make sense. The trades they they made in in July when they were closer to first place. It's just ridiculous. But my guess is they found some money to spend. And here's the bigger guess here. Um, educated guests. This must be Francona's last go around. Maybe they just figured that out recently and said, let's go for it. Let's see if we can make up this gap and give Francona one last shot. That is just a guess on my part. But it, but the answers are somewhere in there because it just doesn't make sense on the surface why they would do this and spend the money. You know, it's crazy, and I don't know if this played a role, um, but they, they just beat the Twins two of three, including the last two of their series on Tuesday and Wednesday. You wonder if, and they have one more series coming up against the Twins on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this upcoming week. Giolito's slated to start on Monday, it looks like. So you wonder if, if they hadn't beaten the Twins two of three in the series immediately preceding it, Maybe they don't even do it because it's you know they're five games back of the Twins. Yeah, I mean it kind of reminds me of the Cubs at the deadline, like one more loss and it would have changed their their direction. Here, you're right. Maybe one more loss and they don't make these claims. But um, it, it's weird to be under 500 for five months and expect something special. But this is the AL Central, as Chris has <laughs> pointed out, the elephant in the oh, room. Oh boy! Um, and so maybe Cleveland can make that run. If, look, if anybody can do it, it's Terry Francona. So we'll see. But it's a really strange year uh, to trade and then add like this um, just doesn't make a lot of sense. Jess, are people surprised that it didn't get to the Twins or the Reds or Arizona, like the waiver claims that you didn't see these guys scattered a little bit further down the line? Yeah, definitely. It's 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 weird that that a team that's 600 grabbed three guys uh, and the Reds grabbed a couple as well. So it was, it was kind of the, uh, at least one team we thought would, would do something. Cincinnati just didn't think Cleveland would. So that changed everything. Um, it actually helps the Cubs that Cleveland grabbed those, those yep, pitchers. Yeah. Maybe, maybe San Francisco, maybe the Mar, uh, not in Marlins, the, uh, the Reds. The Reds maybe they yeah. wanted them. The Reds probably put in a claim for everybody on that list and they got two of them. So Cleveland jumping in actually really helped the Cubs in a, in a, in a strange way. So really, really weird situation here execs were not happy with what the angels did and i know someone wrote in the athletic today is this the trend and it could be because there's 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 these owners that have incredible payrolls yep the years the years that they don't win they're going to dump as as much as they can in july august whenever they can well especially yeah when they're out on the outside more than the outside looking when they've basically been for all intents and purposes eliminated from the playoff race it's like jesse does that give teams now incentive to buy at the deadline almost every year you know, it's something I mentioned at the All-Star break. If you remember, I was all over Jed Hoyer at, about bringing in a lefty reliever because this was the, the two-week span where they had to go for it, you know? Yep. And I said, they don't have a lefty in the bullpen. Go trade for a lefty. Then come July 31st, you can sell him back or in August, put him through waivers. You know, so I, I do think there's a bit of a trend there with the third wild card of potentially going for it. And if it doesn't work... Um, 
putting somebody like that, uh, you know, high-priced guys on waivers or or others. And I'm thinking about the trade deadline. You know, it came um, later. I mean, the, the All-Star break came uh, later. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it came earlier than um, normal. So that you had time after the break to sort of assess your team, and then you can sell or buy, and then you could sell or buy with the waiver system later on, like the Angels did. So yes, I long story. I do think it could be a little bit of a trend. It's it's, it's an advantage and. Uh, in terms of the big markets dumping some salary. Uh, we mentioned the Cubs there and how this might have been the best outcome they could have hoped for because it wasn't realistic that Giolito or Moore or Ronaldo Lopez would have gotten to them because of their winning ways here. They've now won three in a row after the win over the Reds today. They win 6-2. to two. Jordan Wicks moves to 2-0 and oh with another uh, five strong innings, one and in run today, three Ks. And then they're set again to play the second of this Double header, the split double header later today, um, as uh, Jose Quas will be the opener for the Cubs. What's the uh, plan tonight for the Cubbies? Yeah, I mean, it's a bullpen game. I would assume we're going to see Shane Green in there, 34 year old, just called up, longtime closer, now starting at AAA, but Quas will open. I assume they'll go to um, Shane Green. Mm-hmm. There's no reason not, you know, you bring him up not to pitch him in the double header. And then they'll go from there. The beauty of that first game is they did not use Leiter. Yep. They did not use Azale. Um, I doubt they'll go back to Merriweather, but they can go back to any of those other guys probably. So that's a really nice one. Even though it was only 6-2, to two, it feels like a, a big margin because the Cubs played, have played so many close games. So really nice win. Bellinger is just unbelievable. What a two months he's had. 58 RBI since July 1st. Easily leads Major League Baseball. That's 10 more than the next guy. I think Kyle Tucker has 48. In two months, he drove in 58 runs. He's just been everything you could have asked for. Missed a month and he has 80 ribbies. Um, he's been great. Looks like that um, lineup, they start when there's a righty on the mound. So Tockman's leading off, um, similar to the last game. So, yeah, I mean, all is well. First time, 10 games over 500 since June of 2021 for the Cubs. So they are definitely peaking at the right time. Yeah, and, and this is a team that it looks, I think I saw a playoff probability of 75% now with a three-game edge in the, the wild card at this point. I think as a Cubs fan, you probably feel pretty good about your team. But pitching-wise, going into the playoffs, no doubt who your number one is. It's Justin Steele. But who would be number two and three, for that matter, in a Cubs playoff rotation? I love it that we're doing this already. Who's in the rotation <laughs> yeah. come October? But it is a great debate because it's not tie-on. He can't be your number two. And one of the reasons I say that is if he's off, it's a four spot right away. Mm-hmm. And it's a playoff game. In a best of three, you could be done. I don't think it could be tie-on. Now, I leave all caveats to, to, in, in the sense that a month of starts can make the difference. We, you're right. We know who the number one is. We don't know who number two is. Now, I'd probably put Kyle Hendricks in my in my three best of three. But I don't know if Javier Saad goes like – Eight starts in a row and his lights out, you've got to ride that hot hand. Hmm. Um, so I, I think it's to be determined who a game two or game three would be. But because of Kyle Hendricks' experience, I, I would not want to lose a playoff series as long as he's going well in September and not pitch Kyle Hendricks. So I, I have to keep him in my back pocket. But I leave the, uh, open the possibility of one of these youngsters, these no-name guys nationally at least, to come in there and give you a playoff outing if they get that far. Last thing as we spring you, Jess, uh, you were raving about Bellinger's numbers here over the last couple months. He hit his 21st home run earlier today. He stole his 19th base, so he's probably going to go 20-20 yet again. Um, and I mentioned this to Tyler earlier in the week. 
Uh, Bob Knight and Bob Nightingale's piece, you know, uh, we see Scott Boris doing Scott Boris things. He's mm-hmm. raving about Bellinger, and as he should, when you're at the winter meetings and he's handing out that dossier that he puts together for every player that's on the market that who's under his umbrella. I mean, what is Cody Bellinger going to end up signing for? I mean, we've been talking about it starting with a two, but is 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 Boris going to ask for a three to start that conversation? Yeah, I don't think it may it may not get to three, but Scott is really good at ne- having teams negotiate against themselves, mm-hmm. especially owners. Um, I don't think it's going to get to three because it's just one year after two bad ones, and he can talk about the shoulder all he wants, but it still is just one good one. But before that, you know, he was great, obviously, before the injury. So he's, he, you know, 250, yeah, I think we, we, we might see that based on him being left-handed and, team like the Yankees, there'll be a desperate owner. There'll yeah. be a desperate owner. Toronto's needed a lefty. Yankees have needed a lefty forever, and he's the guy on the market. This is why he's not re-signing with the Cubs before the end of the season. That's that's small-time thinking. This guy's going yes. to free agency with the best, biggest agent in the business, and he's going to open up his suite come December in, in Nashville and, and, and have all comers in there making offers. I don't think it gets to three because my mind can't get there right now. He just was um, non-tendered last off season, but you never know with Scott Boris. And if it's another big month, who knows? Great stuff, Jess. As always, we appreciate it. Uh, here's hoping you guys can topple those uh, BC Eagles, my friends. All right, tweet your fun. pick. Take care, guys. All right, that is Jesse Rogers, of course, uh, the hardest working man in Major League Baseball. He is always uh, brought to you by Chicago Toyota Dealer Association, Toyota. Let's go places. I'm Jeff Meller along with Tyler Aki. We're in for Waddle and Sylvie today. And you know I am the fantasy football expert. I host the fantasy football show every Sunday morning. It's going to be at 7 a.m. this year. And so Tyler wants to pepper me with some fantasy football questions and get you set for your fantasy football draft. We'll do that next. Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. This is Waddle and Sylvie on Chicago's home for sports, ESPN Chicago. Best time of the year for me, Labor Day on Monday, and then we get right into it. The NFL begins next Thursday. We're less than a week away as the Detroit Lions will head to Kansas City and open the NFL season. Of course, we've got college football on the brains. Tyler Aki is hosting the Chicago College Game uh, tailgate this year, along with Shea Norling. So that kicks off. Uh, they will be here tomorrow from 10 to 11 and then heading into October for two hours throughout the season. I will have your fantasy football show Every Sunday morning at 7 a.m., 7 to 8 a.m. So uh, we're back for yet another season of Fantasy Football Conversation. And Tyler has been uh, itching to ask me about some fantasy football questions. So what better time as we head into the busiest draft weekend of the year for the folks out there? Let's get it underway. Let's talk some uh, football for the folks out there. And it's all brought to you by Tullamore Dew. Yes, the fine folks over at Tullamore Dew back for yet another season um, of sponsoring a great partnership with them. Tullamore Dew Irish Whiskey, love them. That We were out at Football Fest and they were sponsoring the fantasy football booth with me, and so they were out there 
letting people try the uh, the Irish whiskey, and it was a fantastic event on Sunday. And uh, they're back again for another fantastic season of fantasy football talk. So we'll be having your waiver wire every single week during yes. the NFL and fantasy football season on Tuesdays. Uh, looking forward to all of that. But okay, so I've this year I've only done the salary cap draft, yes. like the the old auction format. So. I actually don't even know. Who is the number one pick in fantasy football this year? So if you're playing PPR, it's Justin Jefferson pretty unanimously. If it's a non-PPR format, there can be, you know, I've seen generally that Christian McCaffrey is somebody who enters the conversation as well. But generally, from what I've seen, and I think it's Justin Jefferson, he's usually in PPR formats, the guy who's been listed as the number one. Although I don't necessarily agree with that. I still... When you look at all the great receivers who are out there, and there's at least seven or eight guys who you're like, okay, I could see a path where any of these guys would very easily be the top-scoring wide receiver in fantasy football. I think Justin Jefferson's obviously the safest because he's clearly Kirk Cousins' favorite target, and he's somebody who's going to get a lot of targets. So he's usually, because of the safe factor with him, he's usually the number one guy. But I personally, if I'm drafting number one overall, Tyler... I would prefer to take a running back. I just think if you take a running back with the first pick and you look at who's available with for your second and third pick, you'll feel better about taking some of those receivers than you will the running back who's likely to be available to you. So I personally prefer taking a running back still in fantasy football above a wide receiver with my first overall pick. You know, I was going to bring this up because it's it was the hot topic in the NFL over the offseason is the value of the running back and how mm. it has diminished to such a point. Do you apply any of that to your fantasy football strategy? In fact, I think what you've seen play out is what actually makes the running backs who get a large um, workload more valuable in fantasy football. You know, because you know that Christian McCaffrey, now he catches a lot more passes in San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan is a bit of a unicorn in that you know that whoever he plugs in in the backfield is going to be successful. So, you know, I think that's part of what makes him so valuable. But no, guys like Nick Chubb, who is very clearly the, you know, undisputed workhorse in the Cleveland Browns backfield and somebody who I think is actually undervalued. So if you're picking like eighth, ninth or 10th, there's a decent chance that Nick Chubb will fall to you. And I would scoop him right up without thinking twice about it because I think he's somebody who is very valuable because of the workload he's going to get. Josh Jacobs, because he has come back, he's signed his contract with the Raiders. He's set to be in place. And if you didn't notice, he changed his number, by the way. He went from 28 to 8. He wants a more slender number. He looks, okay. he looks, he looks uh, more lean. Look like a m- more of a wide receiver. Of course, in the single-digit number. As long as it's not 50 and a quarterback, I can sign off on it. <laughs> um, but Josh Jacobs is somebody who's a workhorse back. And so, you know, if you want to take him later in the first round, too, all for it. You can even sometimes get Josh Jacobs early in the second round. So those workhorse running backs are few and far between. And I think, and Saquon Barkley, right? Like, those guys, I think, are very valuable and players who I'm targeting in the first round. Okay. Will you even touch a running back that doesn't catch passes? Yeah. Um, again, are we talking PPR format? Or, yeah. or, okay, so if you're... Or at least, let's say, like a half PPR. I feel like in most places now, you're at least getting some sort of reward for catching a pass. Yeah, it does seem like that has become more the norm in fantasy football is that you get some type of uh, half point or full point for a reception. I agree with you there. It's become more prevalent. Um, in those formats, I will... You know, I'll shy away a little bit, but 
I, I do. I don't think you can completely rule them out because sometimes they're very valuable, right? Like they're 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 uh, undervalued when you go into a draft. If people say, "Oh, he's not involved in the passing game," and all of a sudden, then you can get a good player yeah, at a discounted rate that is valuable to you. So I would say I'll, there's there's never a player who I will or or there's rarely a player who I will completely rule out drafting if the price is right. If that makes sense, you know, okay. an homage to um, the uh, R.I.P. Bob Barker. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the price is right, I, w- I will draft anybody for the most part. Okay. Um, one of the big names of the offseason as well from the running back group is Jonathan yes. Taylor. And this was a guy who, was it a year ago, or maybe two years ago, was the consensus across the board number one. over. It was last, last year. Last season, he-, he was the consensus number one pick across the board but we know he's not going to play in the first four games of this year Mm -hmm. he's at war with his owner right now over his contract situation um where would you advise drafting jonathan taylor if he falls to this point so he's been placed on the pup list which means that he's going to miss the first four games of the season no matter what so even if a team trades for him he cannot you know, if the Dolphins or some other team ends up getting back into the mix, he's not going to be able to play till week five. So you know that going into it, which makes it um, unlikely that he's going to come in and immediately or, you know, going to be somebody who's going who you can count on. And I think the most likely scenario is that he's not going to be very useful to most fantasy owners out there this year, at least if you're not drafting him at a very discounted rate. I'm not picking him before I would say the sixth or seventh round at the earliest because these first again these first four games are ruled out. But do we really see a path where the Colts are going to find somebody that's going to want to trade something you know yeah. significant for him, or are we more likely to end up in Week Five finding ourselves in a, in a spot where he comes back and he's playing for the Colts, but we're not quite sure what we're going to get. And then when he gets out there on the field, if he gets nicked up at all, what's his motivation to play through, you know, an injury that, mm-hmm. you know, could potentially hamper him in the offseason when he's hoping to be a free agent? Now, of course, the Colts can still franchise tag him, which means there's no easy path going forward for him. But I just think in fantasy at this point, you're more you're going to be you're going to end up regretting sinking uh, like a fourth or fifth round pick in him when you could have gotten a a player who's already going to be out there and it's a more known commodity so this year i think jonathan taylor pass on him unless he just falls like ridiculously late i'm talking ninth tenth around mm-hmm. okay then you're not giving up there's not much of a uh, an opportunity cost to drafting him but early in the draft those are two valuable picks don't draft him before the uh, seventh round all right what's your quarterback strategy because i think one of the the fascinating things and one of the i guess things that really skews or, and kind of splits football fans is people have a skewed view of certain quarterbacks yes. because of their fantasy points, a la someone like Kirk Cousins or even Justin Fields, mm-hmm. versus what their actual production on the football field and how good of a quarterback they are. But what's your strategy with, with quarterbacks? Are you a wait and see, or do you want one of the, the Burrow, Mahomes, one of those guys? Really depends on you know how deep a league you're playing in. In a 12 team or 12 teams or deeper league, I'm going to prioritize someone like Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts a little bit more than I would in other leagues. If it's 10 teams or, or if you're playing in an eight-team league, hopefully this is your first year and you're just getting your feet wet because mm-hmm. hopefully you're playing in an at least a 10-team league. But in those formats, I, I think Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts to some degree have separated themselves and their draft costs. You can usually grab them 
in the second or third round. Now, there's some leagues where they might go, especially in a league with novices, where you might see Mahomes or Allen drafted in the first round. Don't do that. I don't think I don't think that's advisable because you can still get very productive quarterbacks in the later rounds, guys who can get you 75 to 80 percent at a much you know, uh, more reasonable cost. Guys like you mentioned, like uh, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, who I love right this season. I think Justin Herbert is undervalued quite a bit this year because, remember, he played with the rib injury last year, but he was still second in passing yards last season. Yeah. He had uh, 4,700 yards. He threw for 25 touchdowns last year. And really the only reason he, he ran for a few, too. Uh, well, last year, not so much because of the rib injury. Right. The year before, but, though, I think he had five rushing touchdowns. He still had a few if i'm remembering correctly i was Maybe. a justin herbert owner last year okay but yeah. so but nevertheless like his numbers i think were compromised by his rib injury but he still had a ton of passing yards i think he bounces back and is close to he's in that i think um the mahomes josh allen category so i like targeting justin herbert personally in the right spots but i think there's enough value with mahomes and allen who have separated themselves where if you're if you're taking them in the third round especially i think there's value to be had in taking those guys as opposed to some of the running backs who you're not quite sure if they're going to shine this year and some of the wide receivers who are in they're just this big uh, amalgamation of guys who are all productive but not necessarily head and shoulders above the rest is there a sleeper quarterback that like little bit later where, all right, you miss out on like the big hitters there. Who, yeah. who are you so, looking at? Um, and again, depends on the size of your league, but Trev- Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. had a monster second half, um, and he's generally like the eighth quarterback off the board. But you can get him, again, in the sixth, seventh, eighth round a lot of times, and he might just be ready for that next step where he's going to be in the conversation with Mahomes and Allen next year, right? Very mm-hmm. easily if he continues to do what he did in the second half of the season. Um, I would say Anthony Richardson. He's somebody who, because of the running ability that we saw here locally with Justin Fields, right? He's such a dynamic athlete. In fantasy football, usually the way the settings are in your league, the rushing quarterbacks have this unfair advantage where they can put up some big numbers just by a product of breaking the pocket and running in for a touchdown or two throughout a game. So I think Anthony Richardson is somebody who I'm coming away with a lot at the end of a draft and just having him available as a possible backup who, if he can throw it all, you know, he might be this year's Justin Fields because we know his ability to run is, you know, outside of Justin Fields. I don't know if there's anybody, and maybe Lamar Jackson. Those are the only guys yeah. in the league who can run like them. So I think Anthony Richardson is a quarterback uh, sleeper who's going too late in drafts. Uh, last one for you here. Uh, these are about two receivers, all right? So both of these guys we didn't see a lot of last year. W- what? What's your pulse on Calvin Ridley, who sat out all of last year and is now a Jaguar on top of that, and Cooper Cup heading into this season? So Ridley, I like. I think Calvin Ridley is likely to be the top receiver in Jacksonville, but don't underestimate Christian Kirk either. He had a big year last season, so I think they're going to be a 1-1-A type receivers in Jacksonville. So Ridley, um, if you're looking at like the fourth, fifth round, grab him. But depending on which form, uh, which platform you're playing in, whether it's like CBS, ESPN, Yahoo, Ridley's uh, ADP kind of and where he's at pre-draft in the ranks differs wildly amongst platforms. So take a look at where he's at prior to your draft and see where he slates in. Because I think in CBS he's pretty low, but like in ESPN he's pretty high. There's okay. a, there's a drastic you know. So it depends on what draft platform you're playing on. 
that will significantly alter where he gets drafted. But I like Calvin Ridley for a pretty strong bounce back. And then Cooper Cup, he re-injured his hamstring. We found out about that, re-aggravated it yesterday. I really don't think I want to take him in the first three rounds minimum. It's just a hamstring injury. It, don't I don't mess know what, with yeah, yeah, like, like I'm with you. There's too many good players available. If he falls into the fourth round, now I'll start considering it, especially in PPR formats. But there's likely some owner in your league who's going to be like, you know what, I'm going to snag him in the second or the third. And, and for me, that's just too much risk with all these really good players still on the board. I'd much rather take someone like Garrett Wilson in the second round instead of Cooper Cup. Awesome. If that makes sense. Best of luck to everyone out you know, there. Let's slip in one quick call here. Let's try Ryan, who's in Crystal Lake. You know what? Hold on here. Hey, Kevin, can you punch him in? Because my... Ryan, what's going on, man? You're on with uh, Meller and Aki as we uh, talk a little bit of fantasy football ahead of the draft weekend for folks. Yeah, hey, guys. Uh, real quick, what's your uh, thoughts about Kamara and where you drafted yeah, uh, thanks for the call, Ryan. Appreciate it. I, uh, so definitely, he said, Alvin Kamara, where are you taking him? Remember, he's suspended for the first three games of the season. He is probably one of the guys who I'm drafting most across leagues this year, Tyler. He is a potential second or third round player who you can have usually in the fifth, sixth, even seventh round sometimes. I think his ADP is 60th in uh, uh, most leagues. So that is a huge value for me, especially in, as we mentioned, the PPR format. He's somebody who usually catches 70 or 80 balls pretty easily throughout the season. So Elvin Kamara, I love taking him in the fifth or sixth round. And then it's great because I know he's going to be suspended for the first three games, Tyler. But you know what? It's the easiest time of year to fill yeah. in a backup running back right. before guys are hurt. Just draft whoever you draft. And then, you know what I know? Come week four, Elvin Kamara pretty likely to be healthy because he hasn't played in, in three, have three miles games. on him too. So, yeah, yeah I, nice. I absolutely love uh, snagging Kamara in the fourth or fifth round of most of my drafts, maybe even sixth or seventh if you get lucky. All right, folks, there you go. There's a little bit of uh, fantasy football conversation for you ahead of hopefully a very busy draft weekend brought to you, of course, by our fine friends over at Tullamardew Irish Whiskey. It is Friday, so you know what that means. It is time for us to give you Something to watch. We'll do that next in What to Watch for on ESPN 1000. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. You're listening to Waddle and Sylvie. Watch us and join the chat. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago on Twitch.tv or the Twitch app. In for Waddle and Sylvie today, hanging out with you, and it is a Friday, which means, of course, it is... Waddle and Sylvie get you set for your weekend viewing with What to Watch For. What to Watch For is brought to you by Connie's Frozen Pizza. Be the 10th caller right now, 312-332-3776, for your chance to win free pizza from Connie's, of course... Who doesn't love some Connie's pizza, especially when it's free? Melarnaki in for Waddle and Sylvie. And uh, Tyler, I'll let you kick things off. What are you watching for this weekend? All right. I streamed on HBO Max the BS High. It's the documentary on HBO about Bishop Sycamore. I don't Mm -hmm. know if people remember the high school. 
I, I not really a high school. Yeah, not really a high school, but it was from two years ago. I yes. thought it was much sooner than that. But um, from two years ago, it was a fake high school that went on national TV and they to play football, play football, high school team. And they played against IMG Academy and just got railroaded. Yep. And then everything came out that this is not a real school. This is there was a Juco college player playing on the team. Yes. Um, and it was just a complete sham. The entire yes. it was basically football firefest is yes. what this high school was. Um, I, I watched. I, I, I sampled a little bit of it, and you know what? I realized the reason I I was so the the founder of Bishop Sick Roy Johnson. Yeah, like I will say, he, absolute scumbag. Exactly, and because of that. I could tell pretty quickly that that was the case, and I didn't really want to watch it anymore. Yeah, he he was a terrible dude, but um, it was cool kind of seeing the the kids' stories. Okay, who were a part of it, I, and I think I may go back and rewatch it. I do love the, the title though, BS High. Yeah, perfect for Bishop Sycamore. That they actually crushed that, knocked it out of the park. For my suggestion for what to watch for, I know my man Kevin Zpack behind the glass will appreciate this one. It is. That Peter Crouch film, currently available on Prime Video for anybody who wants to stream it. Peter Crouch, of course, a famous striker in English football. A very tall, lanky drink of water. Six foot seven, 165 pounds, who achieved a great deal of success. More so than probably a lot of people thought he was capable of in his career. And he is somebody who is a, a great media pundit in uh, for for football over across the pond. So anybody who enjoys English football or just uh, soccer in general, I think you'll appreciate that cre- that Peter Crouch film available on Amazon. What do you got for us, Kevin? Well, uh, keeping along the same lines, of course, Sunday morning, 1030, the mighty Arsenal taking on Manchester United. I will be up. I will be watching it. I will be having a couple beverages early <laughs> Sunday morning. Love it. My man, uh, he is a Gunners supporter over there. Kevin Zipek, a big, big time Arsenal supporter, will be rooting for them against Man U on Sunday. Sean Graney also hanging out with us today here. What do you have us uh, watching for this weekend? Now, I am going to go back to college football as well. Um, I've been kind of raised to be a really big ND guy, Notre Dame fan. I know that's not a big thing on the station here, but I'm going to be looking at the Notre Dame-Tennessee State game Saturday, 2.30. I'm going to be locked in with with my dad. We're going to be watching the game, have some brews. Love it. Sounds a great time. All right. Good stuff. Sean Graney going to be drinking some booze illegally since he's only 18 <laughs> years old. No, he's actually 22, folks, so don't worry about that. But uh, love to hear that. A little father and son time. All right, Mellor Naki, that was What to Watch For, as always brought to you by Connie's Frozen Pizza. All right, so we got uh, an hour to go. We've got some interesting things to uh, tackle here still on Waddle and Sylvie today, including an interesting version of Would You Rather. A slight uh, diversion from how we normally do it. We'll do that coming up at 530, and we're taking your calls as well. 312-332-3776 on ESPN 1000.